All right. Well, what's up again? What's up again? What's up again? Um, cool, man. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to John chapter 11, that will be cool. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 11 this morning. I pray that you bring your Bible to church as we open it. Um, there's something really special um, and powerful about this book. We hold this book high in this place. Um, we believe every word is true. Every word is life-changing. Every word has the power to transform your life. Y'all believe that? Yes. And so this morning as we read this, uh, my heart is that you wouldn't just read this for knowledge. You wouldn't just listen to what the Lord is going to show us this morning for head knowledge, but we would look at it for how God would want to change us and change you individually, and myself included, right? And so this morning, you know, I, that's, that's the heart. It's The goal is transformation, right? And so every time we open it, there's something new to learn. And so if you don't know me, if you're first time here, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor at Connection Church Savannah um, for two more weeks. And then it'll be Connection Church Rinkin, if you don't know. Okay, cool. So anyway, so um, it, it, if that's a surprise, um, well, we can tell them about your service. Just see me. Um, but also, uh, today is the fifth week of our series, Come and See, through the book of John. I, we've loved this series. God, John has been such a transformational book for me as I've been reading it and studying it. Um, John was written in a very deliberate way, a very deliberate purpose. Um, it was written for a very broad audience, but it has a very narrow focus, right? It's to reveal Jesus to the author. It's to reveal who Jesus is and that the, that the readers might come and see and then believe in Jesus, right? That's the heart is for him to come and to see. Throughout this book, you'll see, come and see, come and see, come and see, come and see Jesus and believe. So we believe as a church, as people, that something supernatural happens in our lives. When we come, we see Jesus for who he truly is. And then we put our hope and our trust in him. And something crazy, something amazing happens in, a, in a, just a, in a special way. And so last week we looked at the interaction between Jesus and the man that was born blind. Remember that? Right? And so, and then we looked at this same, um, the same story. There was another interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. And so the passage began and the passage ended with two types of spiritual blindness, or two types of blindness. One was physical and one was spiritual. See that? And so Jesus was using the blind man's physical condition to highlight Israel's spiritual condition and to, to highlight his purpose for coming. We looked at Isaiah and all the prophecies through the Old Testament was that the Messiah would open blind eyes, right? We, we see in John that, that Jesus would open blind eyes physically but the reality of that is he was going to open blind eyes spiritually, right? Who remembers the time your eyes were open and you saw spiritually for the first time, right? You know, you see Jesus for who he truly is, right? Um, we talked about, um, you know, suffering. We talked about suffering was a part of God's plan. And, and the, our, our culture teaches us I mean, many times in many places, Christian, Christian culture teaches us today that, that God doesn't want us to suffer. Well, we look at the Bible and that's not true. But God uses the suffering to strengthen us and equip us and to correct this, right? And so today, in John chapter 11, uh, we're going to see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I've been looking forward to this book, right? This chapter. And so he was raising Lazarus from the dead. We're going to see that suffering and disappointment and tragedy don't equal. This is what I want you to hear today. I want you to see this, understand this. As you go home, talk about this. Tragedy, um, you know, suffering, disappointment, they do not equal the absence of Jesus' presence in our circumstances. You see that? Understand that today. So today we're going to look at one of the most famous I am statements where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And I love that. Before we get too far, though, I want to kind of hone in on something on the book of John. So today we're in chapter 11. Does anybody know how many chapters are in John? 21, right? 21 chapters. Good job. 
Um, you know, and that, that means we're about halfway through this book, right? Next week in chapter 12, chapter 12, it's already the last week of Jesus's life. So we've gone 11 chapters and now we're at the last week of his life. So that should give us an indication of what the gospel writers were focused on, right? Um, across all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are 89 chapters. And of those 89 chapters, the life and the ministry of Jesus, 85 of the 89 are focused on the last three and a half years of his ministry, Right? We're we tracking here. I'm trying to give you some some foundational work here. So, of those 85 chapters, 27 only deal with the last eight days of his life. And so, what that shows me, the reason is very obvious. The whole purpose of the Gospel of John, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, is to tell you the gospel. That's the entire point of his death, burial, and resurrection. The atonement, right? The resurrection, and how Jesus spent his childhood doesn't really matter in the gospel writings, right? Um, you know, what is important is what he said and what he did, especially when it comes to his death, burial, and resurrection. So there we are. Here we are halfway through the book of John. And John will spend the rest of the, this chapter, or this, excuse me, the rest of this book on the last week of Jesus' life as he did on the first 33 years of his life. You see, you see what I'm saying here? This is important that we understand. The focus is the gospel. So let me pray and get us started here, and we'll jump into chapter 11. So God, we love you. We just, we just beg you to come and transform us and shape us this morning through this book, through this chapter, Lord. I, I pray that you would just move us in the direction of you. God, take down the walls, take down the idols. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so quick, like, feeler question, kind of get you started here. Who's ever been disappointed in the room this morning? Man, everybody in the room better raise your hand. Who's ever been let down? Like, oh, man, I just wish this would have happened, right? You ever thought, you ever had a scenario in your life where you're like, if this would have happened, if this right here would have happened, then everything would have been fine, right? If, if, you know, if, if my wife or my husband would have done this, then everything else would have been, been good, right? Maybe that's too close to home. Have you, ever, have you ever depended on somebody? You depended on somebody at work, at home, that you trusted and they let you down. Anybody ever had that happen? Right. Let you down. Uh, it leaves you feeling helpless when somebody lets you down, right? Um, when a friend forgets to call you on your birthday or when you're in the hospital or when your pastor forgets to do something you thought he should do or when a parent doesn't show up the way you think the parent should show up or treat you. But all these things, right? We've all had these things. Let's get a little bit deeper. Who's ever prayed a prayer? Lord, if you'd have stepped in, then blank wouldn't have happened. Right? You ever done that? Lord, if, if you would have answered my prayers the way I prayed them, then, right? Let's get honest. Like, what would that next line be? Then I'd be happy, right? And then, and, but this is where we're going to start off right from the jump this morning. Pain, disappointment, and struggle. We've all been there. We've all been there. Maybe some of you are there this morning. Pain, disappointment, and struggle. And the truth that I want us to get embedded in our hearts, deep, deep down in our hearts this morning, and this will be our point today later in the sermon, so go ahead and write it down. The main point for the day, there's one, not three, and everybody's surprised. So one point, okay? Through every trial, every tragedy, every struggle, God is writing a story for his glory. Let's get that in our hearts. Through every trial, who's had one of those? 100% participation, all of us. Who's had a tragedy? Who's had a struggle? God is writing a story for his glory in your life. You believe that? Some of us say, yeah, and some of us are like, I think so. I think God still loves me, right? I think, you know, my face kind of shaking, right? And the presence of these trials, tragedies, struggles, and heartbreak never equate to the absence of God's presence in your circumstances. Understand that 
today. Please. Because who knows, you have an enemy trying to say, God doesn't love you. He should have been here. He should have done this. This is what should have happened. Blah, 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 blah. Right? And gets you in this place of bad thinking, right? Because the, the, the battle's in your mind, okay? So let's look at the first 16 verses of chapter 11 together. We'll read this, and then we'll talk some. We'll read some more, and then we'll talk some. We'll go through 44 verses today, so it's going to be really fun and awesome. So get fired up, okay? Amen. All right, so it says this. It says, now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, and it gives you some clarification here. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Everybody remember that? Okay. Uh, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. Giving you some context here. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Circle, underline, you love, because we'll come back to that. When Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. You may remember that from last week, right? Um, chapter 9, verse 3. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So, circle so, underline so, let's come back to that too. When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Judea is where he almost got stoned last week, right? So Rabbi, the disciple says, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and we're going back there again? That's a valid question, right? We don't want to do that. Aren't there 12 hours in a day, Jesus answered? If anyone walks during the day, he stumbles, doesn't he stumble? Because he sees the light of the because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. What a statement. <laughs> my friend's Lazarus, he's sleeping, but I'm on the way to wake him up. And these guys are like, oh, that's cool. Let's go do that. Let's wake him up. But look, it even says, the disciples said, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, wasn't speaking of his, about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told him plainly, you got, you, this, is, this is so true of, of pastors, teachers. If you're a teacher in the room, you know this, right? If, you, if you've ever taught children, if you've ever raised kids, okay, I tried to give it to you, but I need to dumb it down a little bit. He's dead, okay, right? He's, he, I got, he, he's dead. I got to tell you plainly, he's speaking about his death. Lazarus is dead. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, right? See and believe. Come and see and believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, Didymus was his name, what a poor man, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so we may die with him. Is that sarcasm in Thomas's voice? Let's go too so we can die with this guy, you know? And so it's like, we just left this. Um, so look, let's look at this. So it's obvious that Lazarus, Martha, and Mary meant a lot to Jesus, right? We, it was obvious they meant a lot. So when Jesus would come to Jerusalem, if you know anything about Scripture and the Gospels where Jesus would go to Jerusalem, and what, he would spend time, he would, he would stay in Bethany. Bethany was a small little town, a little less than two miles outside of Jerusalem. He would stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so, but what you see in this, you see this love here, verse 3 and verse 5, you see two words for love. Verse 3 says that the Lord, the one you love is sick. Circle that, underline that. And then two verses down, you see Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. In our, in our culture, we have one word for love, right? In, in the Greek culture, there was many words for love, right? And so you see the first word for love in verse 3, the one you love is sick, is speaking of one type of love. The one in verse 5, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, was speaking of a different type of love. We'll dig into that in a moment, so don't get too far away from that. But I love this verse 3 because I love the basis of their appeal. 
right? I love this because sometimes when I come before the Lord, it's like, Lord, I've done all these things. I've done all these. I love you, Lord. I've served you. I've preached. I do all these things. So since I've done this, can you please heal me? Can you please answer my prayers? It says the one you love is sick. And I think what a good model this is for us when we pray. It's not, Lord, the one who loves you is sick. It's, Lord, the one you love is sick, right? This is an identity statement. This, the basis for their appeal is not, Lord, whenever you would come to the Jerusalem, you stayed at our house a lot, Lord. You, you ate a lot of our food, Lord. Uh, we, you know, we, we gave you a place to sleep, Lord. We never charged you for your room, Lord. I think you might owe us this one. We might need you to heal our brother, Lord. That's not what it was. Lord, Lord the one you love is sick. And this is an identity statement. As you look at these two words for love, verse 3 is talking about a brotherly love. Lazarus, you know, Jesus loved Lazarus. The, the one you love is sick. And then in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. was a never-ending, divine, unconditional, sacrificial type of love, an agape type of love. So you see this as you're reading Scripture. You've got to study it. You can't just read through these things. You've got to look at these things because it means something totally different now, doesn't it? And so what makes this, but, 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 verse six, it says, so when he heard this, he, he stayed away two more days, which makes no sense to me as I'm reading this. I'm like, he loved him, he loved him. He lo-. So he stayed away, didn't heal him. I'm like, what is going on here? God, like, what are you doing in this moment? So the word so there, and some of your Bibles may say therefore, right? So he, he loved them, therefore he stayed away from them for two days and let Lazarus die. Does that make any sense to anybody in the room? Because it doesn't make any sense to me as I was reading this. I was like, Jesus, like, this don't make sense. But as I read this, man, Wow, like, so as you read this, the way that I I, kind of comprehended this the first time, listen to how this sounds. Like, Jesus loved these people with a never-ceasing, sacrificial, unconditional, God-like love. Therefore, he didn't come when they called him, but waited two more days. Does that sound awesome? All right, we're going to have some communication here today, guys. Everybody's got got lulled to sleep by the train. So... This makes zero sense to us as we read this, right? And so we think it ought to say something like this. This is our statement, right? Since Jesus loved them so much, he immediately dropped what he was doing, did what they asked, and went to the aid of Lazarus to make sure they got their desired outcome. That's what we think, he, that's what, that's what we think it should say, right? And so, but Jesus delayed in his coming. Why? It wasn't, was it because he didn't love them? No. It says he loved them with a never-ending love, but Jesus's delay was tied to his love for them. I'm like, what is going on? Jesus's delay in coming was tied to his love for Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And so what I've noticed, even looking back at John 7, 8, whenever the disciples said, hey, let's go to the feast, let's go to the festival, let's go to Jerusalem, we're going. Jesus says, you guys go, my time's not come. And so what I'm seeing is Jesus' movements throughout Scripture are always under God's direction. You see this? No matter if it feels good or look, God is directing Jesus every step of the way, and he's living in perfect submission. And so God saw something that Mary, Martha, Lazarus didn't see, the disciples didn't see. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. And, and I pray that you hear this and understand this and you apply this to your life, that God's delays in your life are not denials. God's delays in your life are not denials. Like what you perceive as a delay from God doesn't say anything about his timing or his faithfulness to you, right? Y'all understand that? We sit here and listen to this, but like, do we live like this? Like, Like God's delays in answering your prayers the way that you want them to be answered, it says nothing about his faithfulness or timing. 
but it says a lot about ours sometimes. You think? So as I read this, man, it says a lot about ours. God's never late. We just like to rush. I mean, I do. I am. God, you promised this, Lord. I need you to come through. I need you to heal Lazarus. My brother is sick. He's dying. You love him. He loves you. God is never late. We just like to rush, but God is always on time. But we have to remember that God is not late because he doesn't care. He's late because he's up to something greater. You see that? So important. 2 Peter 3, 9. What does it say? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, right? Who knows that to be true? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as what? As some understand slowness. Instead, he is what? Patient with you. Aren't we glad for that? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So know this. God's plans are always perfect, and God's plans are always perfectly timed. In your life, you can bank on that. God's plans are always perfect, and God's plans are always perfectly timed. As you look at that, as you read this, you write this down, you put it in your mind. Live like this, because if I'm in a moment where I'm praying, and I'm living my life for the Lord and not myself, and I'm like, God, I need you to come through here, and it's not happening, it doesn't say anything about his faithfulness to you or his timing. It says everything about his love for you. And my heart today is that that was what we would see. We don't, but we don't like this, do we? Do you like this? I don't like this. This is a struggle for me. I, I struggle with this every day. My wife will tell you, I'm the most impatient, instant gratification person that ever lived on the face of the earth. I want it now. I want to experience all the things, right? I'm a seven on the thing. So I need all the things to happen now because I want to see all the things, do all the things, be with all the people because I love things. And so, but we don't like this. But the sisters here, like they're going to be mad when Jesus finally shows up. Now you show up. I mean, now you're here. Well, you could have used you days ago, right? But here's their mistake. And I think you and me fall in this trap a lot too. Like we have a tendency, correct me if I'm wrong, we have a tendency to interpret the love of God through our circumstances rather than interpreting our circumstances through the love of God. What would happen if you flipped that script in your life? This is happening to me, so God must not love me. This is happening to me, so I must have made God mad, or I've done something wrong. Does, is anybody else in that boat with me? Like, this is where we sit. Like, I, we interpret the love of God. I look at the love of God through the lens of my circumstances instead of looking at my circumstances through the lens of the gospel. And that's sinful, man. Like, wait, well, Jesus didn't show up, must not love me. No, 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 no. He loves you, so he's going to delay. <laughs> what? Right? We must interpret our circumstances through the lens of the gospel. And let me tell you, God loves you, therefore he allows this to happen. Yeah? Like last week we talked about he equips you. He equips you, right? He strengthens you, he corrects you. Right, those are not, I mean, uh, for those of you that, uh, that, that know yourself well in here, working out is hard. Like, it's not something you want to do all the time. Maybe, you, maybe you're a little off and like going to the gym and working out a lot. I don't know. But like, it's not like, it's not, this is, I love this pain. Right, it's, you know, it's not, just, that's just me. That's just me. Okay, it might not be you. You might be in the, in, you might be in the game better than me. So, but what I'm saying though, is like, there is a pain in the process of growth. And God wants growth. He cares more about your spiritual maturity than your comfort. And so why, you know, why would this happen to me? This is bad. Like, this is bad. Why would my brother die whenever I asked Jesus to help me? Why? This is bad. And we have to be very careful of what we assign bad in our lives. We can't say, this situation is bad, right? This is bad. This is bad. It may actually be good. 
right? It may actually be good. Remember we said last week, we said that suffering is not something that happens to you. Suffering is something that happens what? For you. And we can change that. We can, suffering is not something that happens to me. It's something that happens for me. And we need to remember that as we're living in life. And, and Martha and Mary, they didn't see the big picture, right? They didn't see the big picture of what Jesus was doing. They wanted a resuscitation of Lazarus. Jesus wanted a resurrection of Lazarus. You see those two things? Bring my brother back. I want it, I want it to happen my way on my terms. But Jesus was like, no, just wait. God's going to get the most glory from my way, not your way. How many of us are willing to forego our instant gratification lifestyle for being delayed by God so resurrection can happen in our lives the way Jesus wants it to? Right? Think it through that a little bit, man. Because re- resurrection is big picture, missional thinking. Remember last, last in verse 4 here, what does it say? It says, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Right? We talk about all the time. We enjoy his grace, then we're called to do what? Extend his glory. If we're doing that, then whatever happens in my life, if I trust Jesus has my best interest at heart, his glory and my good, then I know that he's going to get glory. I need to be, I need to exalt him in that verse, chapter nine, verse three last week, this came, the blindness of that man who was blind for 30 plus years, this came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. Remember, we asked the question last week, are you willing to embrace suffering if it drives you and others around you to exalt and worship God? Are you? Are you willing to embrace being inconvenienced? Uh, now you're like, it's too far, Michael. Let's, let's just punt the brakes on that right there. No, I, I got things to do people to see. I got, things, I got goals in my life, right? I got things to go for. Are you willing to be inconvenienced or delayed? Are you, are you willing to embrace suffering if it drives you and other people closer to Jesus? It's a good question, man. Think about that as we read. Let's keep reading verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother, would have not, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. That's a good Sunday school answer, Martha. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes, pistio, that's that rely on, cling to, trust in. Anyone who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That is the question of the hour for everybody in this room. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. That is a salvation moment. She's already saved, but she's reaffirming her belief in Christ as Lord and Savior. It's a come and see moment there. And so can you hear as this, chap- as this section starts the disappointment in her voice, the despair in Martha's voice? Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Remember we talked about that a moment ago? You ever prayed that prayer? Lord, if you just answered my prayer in my way, I would be more comfortable right now. That's the goal in those prayers. That's the goal in those frustrations is you're inconvenienced, so you're frustrated with God. Let's just be real this morning. And I can say that because I'm that way, right? 
My wife recently told me that my road rage is because I'm being inconvenienced, not because the person's crazy. I still think the person's crazy, but it might be because I'm being inconvenienced, right? And so you think about this the same way. Like the struggles and the suffering, it's inconvenient in my life to where I'm trying to go, Lord. You're putting roadblocks up. God's saying, I have a better plan for you. Trust me, listen. And I love this though, but before you judge her too hard, I'm reading this and the Lord just kind of like hit me in the face with it. There There are a couple of statements of faith happening here. There's some faith happening here. The first statement of faith that you'll see is, if you were here, Okay, if you were here, what that's saying is that's still faith. She trusted Jesus. Like, if you were here, God, there would be a chance that this might not have happened because you have the power to resurrect. This was a statement in the ability of Jesus to heal. But at the, but at the same time, it's a limiting statement, right? If you had been here, right, you couldn't have done it over there and you couldn't have done it before today, but you, so there's a limiting statement and there's a statement of faith. And so in other words, what she was saying was you could have done something four days ago. This window of opportunity has gone away. But what I see here, there's also a secondary statement of faith that I want us to focus on in verse 21 and 22. She says what? Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 22. Where's verse 22? Can we say the first three verses together? Yet even now. That is a great, great, great phrase, right? Yet even now I know. Who knows that it's easy to have but God faith? This cancer may be here, but but God, my God can heal, right? My marriage may be strong, but God, he can take care of this thing, right? He can do all these things. But what happens when God delays or doesn't show up like you thought he should show up? Do you have even now faith? Even in the middle of, them, of all the struggle where God may be correcting, strengthening, and equipping you for the mission of God, do you have even now, Lord, I know, even now I trust, even now I know that you still want to move on the behalf of your children. Do you still have that even now faith, right? I love what she says, even now I know, even now I know. She doesn't say even now I think, even now, even now I know. And what's happening right now is she's bouncing between this is how I feel and this is what I know. Anybody ever struggle with the feelings and the knowings of your life, like the facts versus feelings? Anybody ever lived on your feelings alone? How they like, didn't get you very far, right? Got you in trouble a lot. Said some things you didn't shouldn't have said. All right, you always, you know, so this is probably what I should say. But Lord, I'm angry. But praise God. But I'm hurting, right? How, you ever lived there? I've been in that place where you're like, this is the facts. I know God's God, but there's also the feelings I have because I lost my brother, lost my job, my marriage, my my finances. I've lost all, ah, but God, even though, and everybody has prayed those types of prayers before, right? It's okay. It's a safe place, right? You can go to the Lord with anything. He has big shoulders, right? And then look what Jesus says in 23. Don't even respond to any of that. Your brother will rise again. She's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And so I think to be honest, Jesus' words here seem on the surface a little insensitive because if I'm mentoring a pastor on how to, to, to go to a hospital visit and this is what he went with to a mourning family, I tell him to work on his bedside manner, right? I mean, you think about going to a funeral of a grieving widow and you just slap her on the back and say, hey, why, where's your faith at? You know, he's going to rise again. You know, it's called the rapture, right? He's going to rise again one day, right? You know, that would be super insensitive. 
And I'm like, well, but Jesus is talking about something completely different here. He, he isn't just offering Martha a theology lesson about the future. He's trying to change her perspective on the present. What's happening right now? Because as Christ followers, if you follow Christ in this place today, we're called to live in a present awareness of eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life starts when you turn your life over to Jesus. And you start walking in eternal life. Who knows that that is different than walking in life that is not eternal, right? There's a supernatural element to walking in eternal life that Christians should be identified with. But so many times we give over to the things that are more explainable and easy, the instant gratification following of Jesus. So what we see here, Martha doesn't see that at first that what Jesus is saying. So she responds with this good old Sunday school answer. I know he'll rise again at the last, on the final day. She knew her theology. She knew her Bible verses. She had been to Bible school. But Jesus is saying, you're not getting it still. Like you're missing it. You're missing it. And then he drops one of the most theologically important I am statements of, in the entire world. Verse 25 and 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes, pistio, he will never die. Do you believe this? And what an awesome statement, because think about this for a second. Resurrection is an event, right? Resurrection is something that happens. But here, Jesus takes it from an event status, and he assigns it to a person status. You see that? So what I love about this, instead of saying resurrection is an incident that happens to people, he says resurrection is a person that happens to people. Guys, if we could understand this, it would shake us out of our monotony of life. We would live differently. Jesus is saying, I'm the resurrection in life right now, not in the last day. Right now. In other words, in me, even if you die, you'll really live. Right? And I, I want to make sure we understand this because this type of living, this type of belief, it requires a lifestyle change, a lifestyle response, how we live, how we spend our money, how we raise our kids, how we relate to our husband and our wife. It's time to, to look into how we are living in a kingdom culture or not. And then to her credit, Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. And I want to tell you something this morning. Many people in the church today don't believe this. They come and sit in a chair or a pew, and they listen to a pastor. They mentally assent to this truth, but it doesn't affect their lives, which means they haven't truly believed. And my heart today is that the church would wake up and realize there is a deception that's happening in the Christian culture of, of, of just this cultural Christianity of, of believing that you're saved because you have a relationship with the church. Death scares us, right? I remember when I was a child, I'd wake up in the middle of the night freaking out. I'd go find my mom or my grandma, wherever I was staying at that night. I would just say, I don't want to die. I'd cry. I don't want to die. I, I, I was in that age where I started understanding death and life, and I was like, Man, I don't want to die. I remember those times vividly, but my, my, my dad taught me the gospel through those moments. He shared the gospel in those moments. What a great opportunity to do that, right? But we have, we're scared of death sometimes when we're not living in, in faith, and it, it feels so permanent. But what Jesus is saying, Jesus took all the permanency and the bitter parts of death onto himself so that none of it remains for us. Is that that's good news? Like this, this is one of those moments where the church kind of just kind of gets mind numb, or I just told you that death is no more, and you're like, that's good, that's good stuff, that's good. Where are we eating at? <laughs> we had to wait. This is incredible. God has defeated death through Jesus. We no longer have to worry about death. 
We may struggle with a temporary nuisance of death and illness, but eternity is a lot longer than 60, 70 years. I don't care if you have a terminal illness for your entire life, that amount of discomfort, pain, trial, whatever may come, doesn't compare with the time that you'll spend in eternity in the light of Christ. No matter what may come. I love this. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, Paul says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? That's awesome. That's awesome. And we need to be excited about that. Jesus took that sting of death into his hands so that in him we have nothing more to fear. Death, once our mortal enemy, has been reduced to a temporary inconvenience nuisance in your life. Yeah, it's aggravating. Who's ever lost a loved one? We all, we've all lost someone close to us. Who knows that pain? It's painful. And it's supposed to be painful because you love them. But guess what? If that person was in Christ, it's a temporary thing. You're going to see him again one day. And so many of us forget that because we get so numb by life. And I pray this morning that we would stop being numb and come alive in Christ. Because there's a lot of people even in this room that has been lulled to sleep by a satanic lullaby just to kind of go to sleep, go through life, do your thing. You may be in Christ, but you don't have to come alive in Christ because then you'll be too much of a, of a nuisance to me, right? Jesus wants you to come alive in the fullness of who Jesus is. He wants you to live through you. But so many times we hear about the resurrection, we get, my, just, it's the resurrection. I've been to 75 Easter services. I know, how, I know this thing, right? Has it affected your life? And so let's keep reading. I can keep, yeah. So having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to see him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, and they followed her, supposing that she was going out to the tombs to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you would have been here. What a great question to ask, because Martha had just asked it. My brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. One of y'all's favorite memory verses, verse 35. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he open the blind eyes? Also kept this man from dying. So we see Mary's response much like Martha. If you'd have been here, Lord, if you'd have answered my prayers, Lord, But notice Jesus' response to Mary crying. What does it say? Verse 33. It says, when he saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. And so as I read this, we need to understand something. Uh, Jesus was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. The best translation of deeply moved and troubled is angry. You're like, wait a minute, Jesus was angry? Yeah, 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 yeah. The Bible says don't don't sin in your anger is what it says. It says be angry, but don't sin. Jesus was angry. Like, why was Jesus angry? Like, Jesus was angry because Satan's oppression had brought sorrow and death to people through sin. There's an anger. Like, I'm mad. Like, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, it says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, you and me have flesh and blood in common, we have a flesh, a sinful nature. Jesus also shared in the flesh death, burial, right? So, so that the reason he did this was so that his death, Jesus' death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. Who is that? The devil, Satan, 
And, I love this word, and what? Free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Are you living in freedom this morning? I, I had a guy disciple me whenever, back in 2014, 15, 16, whenever we were, me and my wife were going through a difficult time in our marriage and our life. And he was from Zimbabwe and he was gigantic, bigger than me. And he was, um, he, and he would, he asked me questions that I was like, I'm like, all right, is you the Holy Spirit? Because he's like, you're like, dig, you're digging in some places. I, you know, the Lord used him in many ways to change parts of my life. And he would always ask me, are you living in victory? Or are you living in freedom? And I, the first time he asked me, like, what are you talking about? Living in freedom, living in victory. But now that I grew in my walk with the Lord, I understand the reason why Jesus came was to free you. But so many times we walk in the church and we live in bondage. There's Christians in this room living in bondage of fear, of addiction, of shame, of marital struggles, of all these things, idolatry, living in bondage. And Jesus has come to set you free. And so we're looking at Jesus angry because Satan has oppressed his people. You see that? I love this. And then we see Jesus weep. And I think he's weeping for the same purpose because he sees like, this is not what you were created for. This is not what you were created for. Jesus' tears kind of struck me as strange as I was studying. and and Because my, my, my question was, didn't he know? Like, he had prayed. Yeah. Didn't he know that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Like, if you knew that somebody had died, and they're going to be raised again in 10 minutes, that you, you'd be happy and not sad? But he's crying. Why is he crying? But I think Jesus' weeping was different than the mourners that were around him. The passage made more sense, though, as I had children. I've had my daughter, my son, come home and tell me nobody would play with me today. You talking about a dad that cried? I cried. Then I wanted to beat up a kid. Why wouldn't you play with my kid? My kid's the coolest kid in the school. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, or, why, or one of the kids hurt one of my kids. I'm going to beat that kid to death. Like, who's his parents? Like, you know, I want to stand up and defend my children because I love them. When they hurt, guess what? I hurt. There's like a, there's like a uh, pregnancy pandemic going on in our church right now. And like, you're going you're gonna to understand when you have kids, the love like you never imagined. I want to protect that child. And this passage made so much more sense because when I had kids, I realized what it's like to see someone I really love go through pain and heartache. Even when you know the pain is temporary, it still pains you, Right? It hurts me. And it's the story that one day, and it's so true, that one day God will wipe away every tear and, and, and make every sad thing become untrue. But in Christ, he has united his heart with our heart. And so when our hearts are broken, guess what his heart is? His heart is too. Isn't that a beautiful Savior that loves us that much? Some of you guys are going through some, some heart-wrenching things today. Jesus feels your pain. He knows that pain. Run to him in that pain. It's important, man. And I'll tell you too, like as a Christian, I know Jesus will take the worst situations and use them for his glory and my good. But when I'm hurting, probably the most pain, probably the most comforting truth of all time is knowing that Jesus weeps with me and for me. In those moments, man, like remember, he's not, he's not late because he doesn't care. He's late because he's up to something greater. Do you see that? Hold on to that today. And so the second reason that we see Jesus weeping, I believe this is not... I see, it in, I see it in Hebrews 2. You, you translate it, Hebrews 2, how you want. I, I think Jesus weeps because of the tragic consequences of sin. 
what sin has done to his perfect creation. Like he's weeping. And I think in that moment, I'm like, man. And so you see the climax of the story starting in verse 8, verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, angry, angry again. He came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone was laying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you? I love this verse so much. Can we just look at this verse? Didn't I? This is like a, this is like a parent. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? That if you believed, you would see the glory of God, right? Some of y'all can read that, but you're not living that, right? You're not living like you're going to see the glory of God in your life, right? I'm li- oh, praise God. I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored. I, do, I know how to quote all the things, but I'm not living in surrender and submission to the Lord so that I can see these things that he's trying to show me. It's time to let go of the reins of our lives and give it to the Lord, right? Let's keep reading. It says, yeah, so they've removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me, right? So I'm thinking here thinking, like, what does that mean? I thank you that you heard me, right? I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I say this so that they may believe that you sent me. After this, he said, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips around his face, wrapped around, excuse me, Linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth, Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. What a great picture of salvation this morning. What a great picture of salvation. Now, this miracle is setting Jesus apart, okay? This is a a moment of change for the entire narrative here for Jesus. Because Jesus had, he had resurrected other people, right? Remember Jairus' daughter? Remember the widow's son in Galilee? They had, but, but in that, those stories, they had just died. Hey, my son's dead. Uh, can you come heal him? Hey, my, son, my daughter's very sick. Can you come heal? But by the time that Jesus gets to this funeral for Lazarus, he's been dead for four days, right? The decomposition has already set in. And I'm like, grace, that's nasty. But, and, that was, and that was Martha's complaint. Like when Jesus says, roll away the stone. And as I read verse 39, it was cross-referencing. The King James has the best line in this book. Some, I, the, best, the best read in the King James says, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> I was like, it's great. Had to, had to put that in there. But, so everybody knew that Lazarus was dead. Everybody knew because he stunk. Right? He'd been dead for four days before they could say, well, well maybe uh, that child hadn't died completely, or maybe he was just sleeping, or maybe they were on their last breath. But Lazarus was decomposing when Jesus showed up. In four days, circle four days in your Bible, because four days was significant to the Jews, because they, they believed that a person's spirit would hover over the body for three days just to see if by some miracle their body and their soul may reunite. And so what would happen was, but by the fourth day, Jews believed the spirit had given up hope and gone on to heaven. So death at four days was considered irreversible, but not for Jesus. And so I love Jesus's timeline. Do you see what's happening here? He did this because he loved them. He stayed away because he loved them. Jesus's, Jesus's timing is perfect in this. So four days would show everybody that he was really dead, but he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. You see the timing, the sovereignty in Jesus' move and actions here? Because in him, in Jesus, death was finished. And after his resurrection from the dead, Jesus' resurrections, there, there remains no power that can hold him down or threaten his people. Do you know that? Do you trust that? 
Because, that, that, because in dying for his people, he took death's sting and he put an end to death. And as Jesus walked up to Lazarus' grave, I love this, John 33 and John, John 11, 33 and John 11, 38 said he was deeply moved. Again, not just sadness or troubling. He's angry. I'm not sure if, if you know this, but like, I don't like bullies. Like the only two or three times I was ever put in ISS in school was because I got in a fight with a bully because he was fighting somebody that was way smarter than him. And I didn't like that. I don't like bullies. And so what Jesus is looking at is this is the kind of anger that you feel as someone who hurts someone you love. Like, get away from my child. Get away from this one that I love. The way that you get angry at a bully. And then like a fighter, Jesus yells out, Lazarus, come out. Be done with death. And I love the quote. I'm not sure if it's a quote or a saying, but Augustine once said that if, if Jesus hadn't named Lazarus, everybody would have come out of the graves. So it's important that he said Lazarus and not come out because everybody would have been resurrected and been crazy, right? And so, but it was Lazarus, this, this one, I wonder if he called him by the last name. Come out, dude. Just, just you, y'all. Come out, right? And so, but let's just pause here and process what's going on because there's a lot going on here. Let's process what's going on because maybe part of Jesus' weeping was that he knew that he was calling his friend back that he loved back from heaven. You ever thought about that? If I was Lazarus, I'd be like, what the heck? What? Just, you know, it's like, what is going on? But he's calling him back into heaven, into an evil world where he had to die all over again one day. It's like, what in the world? Right? So Jesus had come down from heaven. He knew what Lazarus was experiencing in that moment. He knew where he was at. But what I love most about this section of scripture that we just read was that the emphasis from this point on was the faith of the spectators the people that were witnessing this, right? Because we know miracles in the Bible were to confirm Jesus' deity, the people who had come to comfort Mary and Martha. So Jesus paused to pray to thank God that the prayer that he had prayed had been answered. But my question is, when had he prayed? Because I didn't read him praying in the story. And so my only conclusion was, you know, he was praying on his way to, 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 to this place to, to heal this man. He probably prayed when he received the message about Lazarus, but his prayer now was for the sake of the unbelieving spectators that they might see Jesus, they might come to Jesus and believe in Jesus, right? So these 44 verses are an incredible illustration of what happens to a sinner when they trust in Jesus. Everybody turn to Ephesians 2 really fast. Ephesians 2. These 44 verses are an illustration of what happens to a sinner when that sinner trusts in Jesus. And so Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, is a great, great, great scenario of, of what we're looking at in this story. I want to read it to you, and then we'll dissect it a little bit, and then we'll close. It says this. When you get, I'm, I hear pages trembling, so I'm going to let it sit for a second. Sorry, I, just, I get too rambunctious. I get two. All right. It says, all right, and you were, you were, circle were, you were dead. You were dead like Lazarus in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. Remember Hebrews 2, Satan, the spirit now working in the disobedient. You ever struggle with disobedience to the Lord? Satan's working through you and in you in those moments, right? Verse 3, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children of wrath as the others were also. Before Christ, your destination was hell. 
separation from God for eternity, all the common grace of God removed from your life. Every inclination of God in this world will be removed from you. And you would spend an eternity apart from Christ. But guess what? Romans 1 tells us that God doesn't send you to hell, that you choose to go there. But by rejecting Jesus, because we choose verses 1 through 3, but we, we want to just we want to live in verses 4 through 10 because it, it's romantic. It means that I'll be taken care of. I'll be comfortable. Look, verse 4, this is when it turns to but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, he did what? Made us alive. Some of you may be alive, but you're kind of sleeping. Some of you may be alive, but you're not living in freedom. The aliveness that Ephesians is talking about means there is a forward motion to your life. You're coming alive in Christ. It says, even though we were dead in our trespasses before, you have been saved by what? By grace. Not by actions on your part, not by taking communion, not by getting baptized, not by discipling somebody, not by serving, not by giving. You were saved by grace. What else does it say? You were saved by grace. He, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might, what, display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So the reason why you were saved was so that he might display to the world his goodness to us and the other people might be saved. You see that? I love that. Verse 8, for you were saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So Lazarus was dead. And if you're a sinner in this room, you're spiritually dead, right? Before Christ, you were spiritually dead. Lazarus was decaying. Remember, he stinketh. Remember that? He stunk. He was decomposing because death and decay go together, right? Death and decay go together. Every lost person is spiritually dead, but for some, some lost people are more decayed than others, right? No one can be more dead. When you're dead, you're dead, right? Lazarus was raised from the dead by the power of God, and everyone who trusts in Jesus has been given new life and lifted out of the grave of sin like Lazarus. You see this? If you say, and hear me this morning, please. If you say that you are a Christian, but you've never experienced new life, you've never experienced new desires, I want to please the Lord. I want to read the Bible. I want to honor him with my marriage and my children. If you've never experienced that new desires in your heart, if you've never experienced a new direction, that's what repentance means. I'm going this way and I turn this way and go this way. There's a new life, new direction, new desires. Can I be so bold and just lovingly tell you today that you lie only to yourself and Satan has deceived you? I, that sounds condemning in our culture, but that's the most loving statement that I can give you this morning. Even if you hate me, I don't care. That's love. I love you. Someone who's been raised to new life has a love for the gospel. Sometimes they tear up because of what Jesus has done in their life. They have a love for Jesus because they knew the nails should have been for them, but Jesus took them for him. They have a love for his church and investment in the body because it's his bride. I say this all the time. If you say, hey, Michael, I love you, but I don't really like Savannah, me and you're going to have a problem because she's my bride with one flesh. 
will have an urgency to obey this word. As I'm reading it, and it says, okay, I got, I got to do this because the Bible says it. Not to gain his love, but because I want to please my father. Lazarus was set free from death, and he was given new life. And in chapter 12 next week, Eric's going to show us, we find Lazarus sitting with Jesus, reclined at the table, eating dinner. And I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting around a table with a man that's just been resurrected, I'm not eating no food. I want to know everything that happened to you. All the details, everything, right? And it says a little while later in that chapter, it says people came to see Lazarus because he had been raised. Guys, when we're raised to life spiritually, we'll draw people to Jesus. You're saved from your sin, but you're also saved from a, for a purpose. Whenever you're raised to new life like Lazarus, when you were dead in your sin, decaying spiritually, and Jesus breathes new life in you, people are going to want to be like, what happened to you? Because I know who you were, and now I know who you are, and there's a disconnect here, and I need to know what's going on. That's what happens. And I want to bring it back to the main point as we close. Through every circumstance in your life, God is writing a story for his glory and not yours. God is writing a story for his glory. To put it simple, your life is a testimony, especially in the messy part. Who has a messy part in your life? I want anybody to see this. Martha and Mary, they were, they were struggling with tragedy. I lost my brother. Lazarus, he died. He got sick and died. It's pretty tragic, right? Through every circumstance, God is writing a story for his glory. And like, like Mary and like Martha, guess what? We can't see where that story is going or how it's going to turn out or how that pain fits into that story or why Jesus seems to arrive too late. But I want to tell you this, because of stories like this one that we just read about, we can know that he is always working, Okay? And I want to tell you this morning, God's work in our lives can be compared to a tapestry, right? You're weaving a tapestry. you sewing. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, that's probably the extent of my knowledge on sewing. But you, know, you, look at this, you look at this beautiful image. Well, one side you see a, a beautiful, intricate work of art with all the colors in the right place, and it's beautiful. But if you look on that back side, what do you see? It's a mess. There's string going everywhere, knots going everywhere. Like, what, what did this person do back here? This is, this is crazy, right? This is, not, this is not pretty. You'll find this erratic, chaotic mess of string. But if all you could see was that backside of that tapestry as if it was being woven, you, you would conclude that nothing beautiful was taking place. This is horrible. This person needs to just stop, right? But when you flip it over and look at it from the front, you can see that every strand finds its perfect place according to the plan of the artist. In your life, Hear this. One day, God will flip over history. And we will see that every strand of our lives was part of a beautiful picture that God wove together for his glory and his purposes. And part of that beauty is something that he's weaving into us. Through suffering, we come to know him better because he breaks up our confidence in ourselves. Who can say today with confidence that you need to stop depending on yourself so much? Every one of us should raise your hands. I know in your heart you're like, it's me right? It's me. It's all of us. We depend on ourselves way too much and on God, not enough. And if we would turn that over, God would change our lives. We can understand how much better God is than, than anything in this world has to offer. And as we close today, man, I want to tell you, if all you see in your life is yourself, what affects you, 
what makes you happy, what's been done to you, how you've been wronged, why your prayers aren't getting answered. If that's where your mind's at, then you're probably still worshiping the idol of self and not Jesus. And we see all throughout scripture about how Jesus responds to idolatry. And I want to tell you again, like until you come to the end of yourself this morning, we will never find peace and hope in Jesus because there's something that's going to be competing for that place in your heart. And Jesus is not going to compete with that thing in your heart. So this morning, let's just bow our heads and get to a posture of humility. I just pray over you right now, God, that, that God, that you would just wash over this audience, wash over this congregation, or let us be a, let us be a church that honors you first, God, that, that says no to idolatry, that says no to our flesh. God, that we would walk away from our sin. We would walk away from our self-dependency. God, that we would walk away from everything, God, that doesn't please you. I pray this morning, God, that if there's someone in this room that is, that is lost, God, that if you've revealed yourself to someone this morning um, for the very first time, that, that they need you to come and save them. Lord, I pray that they would not delay in removing themselves from their seats, God, humbling themselves and coming to someone to pray for them. God, or, or Lord, they would make that decision in their hearts so where they sit, God, they would make it public. God, I pray this church would just be missional in how we do this. Lord, we love you so much. We pray, God, that we would stop playing games and that we would submit ourselves to you, God, because you're the only one that has control. You're the only one that deserves honor and praise and glory. God, never let us say the same. God, mold us, shape us into the image of Christ. God, we just let go of all of our sin. We let go of all of our idols this morning. God, we just worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.